turn to our very first guest and topic of today. In the next 20 minutes or so, we're talking with David Nesbitt, the co-founder of the Nesbitt Center, which is a local charity that aims to support and empower adults with learning disabilities through vocational education and social enterprises. Welcome to the program, David. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for including me, Noreen. It's really nice to meet you finally and and to see you uh, in person. Before we talk about the Nesbitt Centre, perhaps uh, for our listeners, we'd love to get to know you a little bit uh, uh, better. Um, You're originally from Canada and you've been in Hong Kong for over 40 years. That's correct. What brought you to Hong Kong? uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in central Canada, Winnipeg, um, and I won't refer to in January, it's minus 48 degrees. But the, I worked for um, a global uh, stockbroker who had an office in Hong Kong, Tokyo, and many other places around the world. And they always had someone from head office. And um, uh, I was lucky enough as an institutional salesman in Winnipeg to be appointed to be the sales manager in a, uh, an office of more than 50 people in Hong Kong. So I alerted my wife and said, um, dear... Uh, we are going to bring our small family, ages two, four, and six, uh, to Hong Kong, and we're going fairly soon. So in 1979, we moved out here, and we did know that the English school system had some classes for special needs kids. So uh, moving, moving to Hong Kong 43 years ago was okay in that we had a special needs daughter. She uh, contracted viral encephalitis when she was 18 months and therefore had what is called developmental delay, but she had some brain damage and other disabilities. But to move to Hong Kong, our, her, her brothers were fine, kindergartens and so on, and moved through school. But she too was well looked after within the uh, English school system. And I'll just close my speech on uh, as time progressed, she was able to attend, again, uh, an ESF um, educational uh, center, which was called the Jockey Club Sarah Rowe School. And Sarah Rowe has a name that you can all look up, uh, who um, helped, um, I believe, orphans and um, young people earlier in the um, 50s and 40s. The school uh, dealt specifically with special needs young adults. So... Um, People could be in wheelchairs, they could be autistic, they could have a variety of disabilities. But where we're coming to in this show is what happens after the age of 18. Exactly. Going back a little bit, I went to Quarry Bay School myself, which is an ESF school, and then I went to South Island. And then there we had a special needs um, education department, and we had some uh, uh, young adults from Bradbury School, which I understand was the school that your daughter uh, went to at first. And it was so, it was so eye-opening to, to know that there were sort of uh, children and students of different learning abilities, and we never were exposed to that in our primary education. And I just look back and I think, why weren't we um, exposed to that, um, you know, just people of of, of differences? We find that's changed, but you're right. At the time, the special needs... I'm revealing my age already. uh, No, I I won't ask, Noreen. (laughs) The, um, The special needs stream was kept separate. Now, 
probably because some of them could be disruptive in a class and therefore the 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 special needs stream might have been with um, in in a different area of the school or a different classroom but surprisingly the main body of the schools never mixed visited or worked with the special needs kids absolutely and that's as an adult now looking back it's it's really shocking and i look back with fondness because you'd go to the playground in my secondary school and there were just people of different uh, abilities people in and you know some students were in wheelchairs and i look back i think gosh you know that was progressive at the time but at the time but now i look back it, we could have done more now um, I, I know we want to talk about sort of the future and the scope for 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 adults with with learning disabilities but the truth of the matter is a lot of them after school where do they go i mean a lot of uh, people choose to go to college or university is that an option for for some adults with learning disabilities yes and fortunately um that gives me an opportunity to mention somebody else there's a gentleman called walter choi and i met walter when he was coming to cafe 8 which is one of the nesbit center's social enterprises and I was supposed to introduce him, and I thought, oh, this is going to be another boring introduction, and I have to give my standard speech. And then I saw a guide dog walk towards me, and I realized that Walter was 95% blind, and he proceeded to give a 25-minute slide presentation perfectly. But to mention Walter, he runs an organization called Carer, and... Uh, individuals who have a university or skill uh, training beyond, let's say, high school, uh, let, let's say somebody has an accountancy degree and they're autistic, he, uh, carer, will deal with the placement of that individual and they'll also advise the employer how to deal with that individual. Sometimes they behave a bit differently. They might be a little bit um, um, more quiet or uh, not used to noise. But there, so there is an organization which will take uh, special needs graduates and help them in Hong Kong. Yeah, we, that's we, that's sort of Plan B if you've got a degree. But to come back to your question of what happens to individuals with different needs in wheelchairs, maybe they have much more serious disabilities, and they're eighteen. What happens to them? Yeah. So what? Um. Yeah. What happens? Uh, I mean, in the Chinese-speaking community, a lot of them perhaps go to vocational uh, workshops where they make handicrafts. That's an option. Uh, but what if you're from the English-speaking community and may not speak Cantonese? And that's where we fit in. Some years ago, the um, uh, the Jockey Club Sarah Rose School, being part of the English school system, had a number of students and parents. But particularly, the parents got together and said, "What do we do now? Where do our What's next where, for where us? do yeah. our uh, children go? Because they can't uh, phone uh, Chung Kong Holdings and say, um, you know, could I work with you? They may not have all the skills that a uh, senior employer would um, uh, require. So four or five of us got together. I wrote a letter to Chris Patton, the governor at the time, who passed the letter on down to so the head of social welfare, and it was to establish some funding for groups of individuals that were not Chinese-speaking, primarily English-speaking. Uh, today, we just use the term international, but uh, non-Chinese-speaking. And the government saw the niche and gave us this group, some funding, originally the Hong Kong Vocational Center. And there were seven or eight students who got together at um, a vacant school at the time in Kowloon. 
and time passed and the seven or eight students expanded to 50 over the years. We've had several different locations, and now we're in a community center in Saiyengpun on Gogai in Ghost House, which is um, uh, the Saiyengpun Community Center. But to go back to the question, which is what happens after the age of 18, we provide non-Chinese speakers of varying abilities. We have several who are in wheelchairs who can't even speak. We have others who are now trained baristas in our social enterprises. Amazing. So to summarize that, we have uh, a situation, meaning uh, an enterprise, where if one walks in the door, there's a program for life dedicated for that particular individual, be, be he or she in a wheelchair or Down syndrome or autistic. They have, uh, each one has an individual program, and over time, this gives a chance to um, advertise the fact that we now have four social enterprises, and they have received government funding for capital costs called the Three E's program. So thank you, Hong Kong government, for both partial funding of the Nesbitt Center and partial funding of the social enterprises. But over the last 10 years, we now employ 35 individuals who are special needs, uh, in today's language, PWD, person with a disability. And we employ another 35 at our both our center and able-bodied individuals who work in the social enterprises. So we run three coffee shops and a bakery. And that's one place where non-Chinese speakers can reach out and look for employment. Uh, the um, the Chinese-speaking community has institutions such as Heep Hong, Poliangkuk, and they will have their own enterprises. Uh, they, they may be uh, restaurants or they may be uh, crafts, but uh, the Chinese-speaking community does have access as they're over 18 to other uh, employment situations. How have the attitudes of employers changed over the years? In um, hiring people with disabilities. Um, very interesting. Before we opened social enterprises, we had one of our staff who was involved with employment and placements. And we found, uh, now this is again 15, 20 years ago, but we found employers, and I'll use um, uh, pizza places, uh, um, grocery, grocery stores. Bakeries. Uh, yeah. And, for example, my daughter, who's, um, who I mentioned has special needs, she walked three dogs on the peak as one of her, one of her jobs. Wow, and, seriously? <laughs> and there were others who worked in um, you know, a park and shop type of environment or a welcome type of environment where they stock shelves. Uh, some put pizzas in boxes. But there were lots of employment opportunities, surprisingly. And uh, um, employers were actually quite good. Um, what has changed, and I'll, I'll advertise one group, it's the um, Ladies Recreation Club. And the manager has said we have roughly 200 staff. We are now going to employ a percentage of special needs. And I'm not, I've forgotten his... Um, his KPI, to use the phrase, but 5 or 10% of his staff he wanted to have as special needs in the community. And so that's the change. Instead of one-off special situations, we're seeing enterprises who are involved in the world of ESG and CSR, meaning community involvement, are certainly making more attempts 
to employ individuals with disabilities. There are varying degrees of disabilities, of intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities. Um, at the Nesbitt Centre, how do you upskill them and train the people so that they are um, up to scratch for, for the job? Because maybe um, they may have personality uh, that holds them back a little bit. How do you train them? That's a Actually, great... that's for everybody, you know, not just people with disabilities, yes, for everyone, yes. to be honest. Uh, that's a great question, because if you walk in the door to the Nesbitt Centre and you're mildly autistic, but you have some problems, you could be placed in many enterprises. The um, individual behind you in the wheelchair who can't speak and can hardly use his or her hands is obviously very different. So what we have done, we've established three different paths. One is the social enterprises, the cafes. So we have staff that are able-bodied and special needs serving customers um, above the Maritime Museum on Nathan Road and um, at St. John's Cathedral. Uh, however, there are others who are not quite as, let's just say, gifted in dealing with customers. And we created a brand called Craft Ability, and we make custom-made candles, coasters, trays, and other brightly colored objects. And we've now got a website and we're selling them online. So those that's for people who may not be able to speak or move as easily, but they can create certain artistic objects. Some can paint uh, too as well. And the third uh, um, area that we've uh, chosen is e-learning. And COVID has made that particular style of um, let's just say uh, learning and teaching uh, has, has made that more um, important. But again, if you're in a wheelchair and you cannot be picked up by rehab bus, yeah. my compliments to the government, they have a bus service for people with disabilities, then you're stuck at home. Well, we've created an e-learning um, series of modules ranging anything from tours of Egypt through to mathematics online. And we, um, uh, speaking of the future, would like to pursue that, um, uh, what should I say, that, that um, process and progress it to other locations, um, whether it's uh, Singapore or Sydney, where we would say here are a series of modules suitable for um, developmental delay and special needs individuals, and we would try and sell them at a reasonable price or even go back to the Jockey Club Sarah Rowe School and say, we have modules for your 15 and 16-year-olds. But in short, we have um, a future gift, we think, to the special needs community. And also, that can uh, be translated. So that's something if, it's, um, if there's a, um, a mathematical or, as I say, a tour on screen, it can be in multiple languages. Part of all of this, David, is that it's uh, part of all the support is empowering and really life changing for these adults and also for their families as well, because it's about giving them that sense of independence, which every adult or every person should have. What sorts of sort of feedback have you had from parents and from uh, the individuals who, who work at the social enterprises? The, the answer to that is quality of life. And what has happened is the individuals who have joined, uh, I'll use Cafe 8 as an example because it's a fairly large 65-seat restaurant. And at any given time, there may be um, it's very ten, busy place ten, 10 staff, of, of which five or six are special needs. 
they, first of all, independence, they have to get there somehow. So they're on the MTR or a bus, and um, that's one. So they transport themselves independently. Uh, next is they have to stick to a routine. And we have found all of the special needs individuals that work in a place like Cafe 8, they're there early. And they're the ones that don't go home early. They, and, they, and the staff turnover with special needs is virtually zero. But what's happening is they are comfortable in that environment. So I go back to the term quality of life. Yes, they're working. Yes, of course, they're clearing tables. Yes, they're mopping the floor. Yes, they're doing all the things that one would think at a restaurant. But that's just part of their day. And their day is with mates. Their day is with uh, serving customers. And the customers come back and ask for the same individuals and say hello. And uh, they have a full life, which is... Um, that's the most important uh, in, in, thing. In terms of yeah. parent, uh, parental satisfaction, mm-hmm. uh, they are particularly happy that now these are paid jobs, and but their sons and daughters now have uh, a long-term future. And I'm just going to close my speech on this area. We have one, one of our uh, coffee shops on Nathan Road is entirely staffed by and managed by persons with a disability. So suddenly. Um, Several of our um, PWD individuals have gone from what do I do to managing a small enterprise and being a barista. Yeah, what's the future looking like for for the, for this uh, for special needs education and also for uh, the workplace uh, to employ people with special needs? I'll I'll give a um, a brief answer on the 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 outlook is actually very good. Because the uh, the ability to serve clients, and that's in uh, um, a restaurant, is particularly large in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a place where food is really important. And I'll mention another gentleman, uh, Howard Ling, who's a, a man who's opened up a total of more than, well, more than 10 restaurants in Hong Kong. And he employs a lot of autistic individuals. Now, he's only got four or five left because landlords in COVID have done some damage. But I'm only referring to him as running another series of restaurants. They serve different types of food. They have different languages spoken in their restaurant. But there is now an opportunity we see it building. And there are other um, social enterprises that the government helps out with. So if one is a special needs individual in Hong Kong, 25 years ago, uh, you stayed home and watched TV, lay on the sofa. Uh, Today, you're out and about, or you're in front of your screen with the e-learning, or uh, someone is giving you another skill, and that skill may simply be learning how to paint. I'm so glad you raised that that point, David, because it's true. I think attitudes have changed. You mentioned 25 years ago, um, a few decades ago, you don't really see so many people in wheelchairs around, for example, with physical disabilities. But now parents are um, more likely to bring them and not hide their children away. Exactly right. And I could give a um, 20 minute speech on wheelchairs and strollers in Hong Kong. Oh, the going accessibility over curb- is just so terrible, isn't it, in Hong Kong? Going over curbs and steps. I have a mental picture of a friend who had a real back problem. He almost he broke his back. He's a very heavy man. 
and he worked at a downtown bank whose name I'll uh, not mention, but there were 20 steps from the front door down to the uh, pavement, and he had to be carried in his wheelchair by four individuals. And then the only place he could go was a hotel for uh, for um, um, a meal, but the hotel had four steps up to the restaurants, and they eventually put in a lift. But Hong Kong is a tough place for those who are in... Um, in a, in a wheelchair. But let me give an idea of what has changed. Uh, ten years ago, um, um, a couple that we know very well started a, a an NGO called Sailability. One word, Sailability, yes. out at the He Behaven Yacht Club. And over ten years, donors have donated 35 boats to the Yacht Club and their smaller sailboats. And sailability on a weekend caters to individuals who have had a stroke, amputees, people with um, with mental and physical disabilities. Even someone in a wheelchair can be lifted into a sailboat and feel the wind in their face. So what has changed? There are opportunities such as ours, and also the Labor Department phones us and says, do you have room for you know, another individual who may not be um, English-speaking. And the answer is, we have now been approached by three different groups, I can't name them right now, to set up three more social enterprises. We will have more opportunities for individuals like that. But one key is, on a weekend, they can at least enjoy themselves too. Yeah, well, shout-outs to, to, to Kay from Sailability, really. Exactly. Mike really did fan, yeah, fantastic job. We've got only a few minutes left, David. I feel like I can talk to you all afternoon, all show. Uh, in, in closing, um, I hear you're leaving Hong Kong after all these years. Um, how does it feel like? What, what does it feel like? Well, it's, uh, it's um, distressing because we're not leaving Hong Kong because we're grumpy or we've read too many uh, unfortunate headlines. It's just too hot here. Now you need to go back to the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, we are very conscious of our daughter and uh, her age and our age, which I'm not going to release. Uh, it's obviously private, <laughs> private information. But we need to plan for the very long term. And therefore, she will provide, she will need housing in the future when we're not around and her brothers may not be able to look after her. That's difficult in Hong Kong. Yes. So we're actually moving to a location, which happens to be part of Canada, where the social system and uh, some of the um, uh, NGO style of uh, groups have set up community living. So we are moving for her rather than ourselves. We'd uh, much rather be um, at Deepwater Bay Beach in a, in a deck chair than thinking of moving from Hong Kong. Yeah, um, my, my husband's auntie, um, Auntie Karen, uh, she lives in Scotland, so uh, she, she's born with an intellectual disability as well. So there's a village in Scotland called Newton Dee where um, all the villagers there have varying degrees of special needs and Auntie Karen works at a bakery there and they all have shifts working in the post, um, uh, not quite a post office, but the post, posty, po post office bit for that part of the village. She works at the bakery and is a small community where they have wardens, if you like, of, uh, of of neurotypical people living there, looking after the community, and it's and it's total independence, and it's fantastic, and and I dream that, you know, why can't we have a place like this in Hong Kong? I know, and <laughs> we we could have uh, small farms in the new territories where individuals who have disabilities could take satisfaction in 
growing vegetables, in, um, in uh, dealing with um, um, agricultural produce. And now that we've got, uh, we're in the world of technology, uh, vertical farming or growing potatoes on the top of a roof, one can see in the future that if, if companies are doing that, they can also employ special needs individuals for such a, um, an activity. Yeah, well, David, it's so lovely to, to meet you and to talk to you and to hear your story. And um, I'm sure we'll invite uh, members of the Nesbitt Centre back on the 123 show very soon again. Meanwhile, best of luck with everything and stay in touch and all the best. Thank you very much. And thank you so much, Noreen. And I'd also like to thank my wife, Wendy, who in the background has been co-founder of the centre, has also deals very directly with our daughter and is part of this um, this whole equation. So thank you. Um, to Wendy. For, to, to Wendy. <laughs>